Hi, welcome to the first real episode of Breaking the Stigma. I'm really excited to be starting this podcast. I started this podcast because I've noticed there's a lot of interesting conversation being stirred up about mental illness online, and I wanted to be part of that conversation and adding to it and humanizing the people who have these mental illnesses and have struggled with that. So today I'm here with Robert. Hi. Hi, Robert. So um, I think first what we're going to do is part of what I want to do is to humanize the people with these illnesses. So I'd like to... I'd like to first just ask a bit about you, Robert, so All we right. can we can get to know you. So I assure you, I'm quite human. Yeah, he's a human. I can see him right here. He's a person. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself. A bit about myself. Well, I'm 52 years old. I live in southern Maine. Uh, yeah, I, I'm divorced and have two kids and uh, was a social worker most of my life, and I'm kind of semi-retired from that, but I'm in peer support at this point. Nice, nice. You're old. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's all all relative. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, It's okay, we can make jokes here. Um, So, like, what have you been up to lately? What's, what's, what makes you excited lately? What makes me excited? Um, well, it's kind of been a rough year with COVID and everything, and I, um, going through a divorce, so that part hasn't been great. Um, but I enjoy my work. I work part-time at this point, and, uh, I am disabled, and that's part of my income. Um, but, yeah, I'm, you know, excited always about my kids and what they're doing with their lives, and, um... I have really good friends that I've been hanging out with, and um, that excites me. And uh, yeah, music. So nice. Yeah, COVID definitely rubs salt in the wound of whatever's happening in your life. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone can relate to that. So um, now that we know a little bit about Robert, um, you mind if I call you Roberto? Call me whatever you want. Okay, Roberto, Roberto works. Roberto. 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 Rob. Roberti. Robbie. Rob. I like. I Bob. like. I like Robbie. Robbie. Okay. Is Bob a nickname for Robert? It is. Yes. That makes no sense. Commonly known fact. I didn't know that. I think it's stupid. What else? What isn't? Isn't Dick a nickname for Robert too? No, that would be Richard. Oh. What a shame. Um, Okay, so I guess we'll start diving in a little bit more. Uh, What were things like growing up? Um, Gosh, I guess they were fairly typical. I grew up with two parents who were professionals. I was well provided for. Um, It wasn't a terribly, like, warm household in terms of, like, they never hugged me, said they loved me, but, you know, that I was active with them and... uh, Yeah, I was, I guess, a fairly normal little kid. I was kind of a loner, but I was more or less happy. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think anything too unusual when I was little. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like really fond memories that come to mind when you think about early childhood? 
Um, I think some of the fondest were of hunting and fishing with my dad. Up, I grew up up in northern Maine, and I loved the woods, and we did something usually every Friday. We hunted or fished. Um, that was good, and I used to, when I was a little older, I played Dungeons and Dragons a lot with my friends when the game first came out. Nice. Yeah, I guess so. Nice, nice. Always good to have some nature. (laughs) Nature's nice. Yes, it is. Um, So, who was your biggest supporter at that time when you were young? Like, who who did you go to for comfort? Um, That's a tough question. I, I guess maybe my dad some of the time, and I had... Um, a best friend, uh, Tim, and I guess you could call it support. I don't know what I called it at that time, but in a lot of ways, I I was a real loner. I had a sister who's five years younger, but we didn't hang out much, but um, I didn't seek support from many people. Mm, Independent from a young age. Yes. Yes. That's always, that'll always do stuff. Uh huh. <laughs> Independent is the glass half full explanation. Yeah, it is. Um, so I guess what were your school years like? Um, again, they were like fairly typical. I it was a small town, so I knew all of the kids pretty well just from growing up. Um, I in my early years, grade school years, I was pretty much a loner at school. And interestingly enough, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I was kind of a bully. And uh, the tables really turned on that in my later years. But I I was pretty, I was kind of isolated. I was a loner in the younger years. Up up until my, when I was 14 or 15, that all changed. But that's later in the story. Mm. I Yeah, that makes sense with the bullying, though. That tends to happen with people who are feel isolated, feel yes. alone. Yes. Yes. So I think we learned a bit about you. So let's dive into the nitty gritty. Um, what diagnosis or diagnoses have you been given? Um, I would say, well, I mean, something worth noting that's affected my entire life is when I was 12, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which really played a big part and still does into my mental health because it really kind of changed my development. And um, when I was 12, I actually was 80 pounds when I was diagnosed and was fairly close to death. So the only treatments back then, the only treatment was prednisone, which is a steroid. Um, But prednisone is notorious for screwing with your mental health causing depression, mania, agitation, all that stuff. Um, In terms of mental health, I wasn't, uh, speaking in terms of formal diagnoses, I was 19 the first time I was diagnosed. And that was my first introduction to being admitted to a psych hospital. It was a private psych hospital. And uh, so my, the first diagnoses, I've had changing ones through the years was major depression and generalized anxiety disorder. Okay, yeah, so you see a really strong connection between body and mind early on in life, and then then that also developed into other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge connection between body and mind. I think 
you know, anxiety is a huge manifestation of that, so. Definitely, and sadness, Mm because if you're in pain, it's hard to be having fun. Right. Yeah. Um, How would you describe your diagnosis if you're telling it to somebody who had never heard about it before? Huh. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess one of the things that's kind of evolved for me in life is that I... I don't speak purely in terms of concrete diagnoses because it's changed since I was 19. Um, Right now it's formerly bipolar disorder, but interestingly enough, it's gone full circle and my doctor and therapist are saying they don't think it's that, that it really is depression and anxiety. Um, But I try to think of it more in terms of what I'm experiencing or if you want to call them symptoms. I I guess depression is something that's very isolating. It um, alters my reality and the way I see things. It alters what I believe about the world and people in it. And um, it's just very isolating and it can be really sad. It can be really dark too. Um, And anxiety for me, I would describe as paralyzing. Um, because, you know, we talk about fight, flight, or freezing. And so anxiety for me is very emotionally paralyzing and it can bring me to this place of um, just not taking action and not doing much at all, but being in a huge amount of distress at the same time. Mm-hmm. So your thoughts creating your reality. Yeah. Creating thoughts cause actions, which cause your reality, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's true for everyone in the world, I mean, thoughts can sort of guide the way that you act and can guide what you believe and it can guide your own reality. And that's why I think it's important to have input from others and support from others. Yeah. When did you first start experiencing those symptoms that you're describing? Can you remember? Yeah. And describe it? Yeah, interestingly enough, well, I mean, I think I had some of it in my pre-adolescent years, like with the Crohn's disease and everything. But in terms of those concrete symptoms, interestingly enough, started when I was 15 and my life did a full 180 because that's when I started drinking. I grew up on the Canadian border. We used to drink in Canada. Um, And then I just changed all of my friends. I started having girlfriends And it's all tied in together because it seemed like I was experiencing my emotions and life experiences in a very intense way when I kind of switched to that mode in my life. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you have any clue that that was mental illness or that it was a spiral or... I had some kind of clue that I was involved in some sort of spiral, (laughs) this kind of like impending doom, like I kind of like what I'm doing, but it's not going to end well. I can, yeah, relatable. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And uh, it certainly didn't end well, but that's been an evolving story. Um, In the early years before I was diagnosed, I didn't really think in terms of diagnoses or depression or anxiety. All I knew was that I was feeling intense feelings and I would do anything to kind of numb those feelings because they felt distressing and unbearable. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, what happened in your life as that started to, as you started to feel those symptoms and try and numb those feelings? Yeah, well, that could be a really long answer. Um, <laughs> what what happened at that point is I kind of transitioned from a kid that was fairly confident and fairly happy to somebody who was very unhappy and not confident and feeling pretty low and sad. Um, literally in my life, in those late teenage years, I was having a lot of crises with alcohol I um, had alcohol poisoning twice, I think once when I was 15 and then once again at 17. That, and it was very dangerous, again, close to death. Um, and I felt like I was becoming much more isolated. I didn't see much value in friendships or romantic relationships. Life, I describe it as life became very two-dimensional, that I didn't see a lot of meaning in things. And again, I knew that I was spiraling in some way, shape, or form, but I never, it never was black and white enough for me to think of it in terms of depression or suicide or anything like that. I just knew it was heading someplace bad. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess how, as that progressed, um, were you ever able to overcome your mental illness or like come out the other side, I guess? Yeah, again, it's hard to answer that concretely. Um, it's obviously something that I've continued to experience in some way, shape or form through my whole life. Um, and the world of mental illness and substance abuse for me have been very closely intertwined. Um, I don't know that I've ever totally overcome it as much as, for me, it's been very important to kind of build my awareness, to become more aware of what's going on with me, to recognize it, to name it. And, you know, that's half the battle. And the other half is to sort of learn about what my thoughts are telling me and that, you know, it's necessarily not always necessarily true and that no matter how I'm feeling or where I'm at with the depression and anxiety, that I have options. Um, and that, you know, there are, there's concrete action I can take. And for me, the biggest thing has been staying connected to other people and to sort of get a wide array of advice from people and, and um, learn to sort of do that before I make decisions on my own. Um, so overcome it, I don't know, but certainly I've, I've learned to live with it. I've learned to be aware of it and in a lot of ways have learned to embrace it rather than push it away. Um, so, you know, I'm not embarrassed about it. Um, I still have my struggles with it, but it's something that, um, I guess in that way I've overcome that it's just become part of my reality and part of my life but I don't let it kind of anchor me down or stop me from experiencing positive things in life. Mm. Yeah, so there, it doesn't go away, but you learn to cope with it. You learn yeah. the ways of it. I think it evolves. Um, when I was young, I, I first, you know, the way I saw it back then was this sort of thing or phenomenon that made me different from other people and made me less than and not deserving. Um, but it, as I've matured and, and lived more of life, it's sort of, I've recognized it as 
It's part of my personality. It's part of my life experiences. It's part of my thoughts. It's part of who I am. Um, and so that, you know, at times it really can paint my world, but I have a lot of options and choices to sort of paint it the way that I want to and to not let it sort of guide or control my life. Mm-hmm. And I think you bring up a really good point about how um, when you sit there with those mentally ill thoughts, you can feel like a bad or evil person mm-hmm. or feel undeserving. But then as you experience life, meet more people, you begin to see that these are good people and I like these people, but they also have these these thoughts, these feelings yeah um i i think the way i look at it now today is that it's all part of the human condition and each and every one of us as a human being we have our own i guess quote unquote conditions that we live with some are good some are bad some are neutral um but i think the point is that i i don't see that it necessarily makes us different in the way that we are less than or undeserving and um yeah i don't know i guess that's yeah yeah it's it's a shared common experience we experience it differently but it's everybody has it here and there yeah some more than others yeah yeah and and i mean it can be like i said incredibly isolating and it's been a big revelation for me that um i'm not the only one that this happens to and i think that this podcast is good because it's particularly depression and anxiety can make you feel very isolated and alone and for me my brain will tell me the lie that I'm different from everybody else and that I can't do it and that you know I can't I have to resign myself to living in mediocrity but that's a lie and so the more that I connect with others reach out to others tell my story do the work that I do um, I feel more like included and more part of in terms of, of those feelings and thoughts. Mm, yeah. I think that's a good leeway into the next question. Um, if you could give any word of advice to somebody struggling with depression and anxiety, what would you say? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a tough one to kind of quantify. Um, Do you need a minute? No, I'm all right. (laughs) Um, I don't necessarily tell people that I promise it's going to get better um, because I've never sort of liked to hear that because in the moment when I'm feeling those things, I'm fairly convinced that it won't get better. Um, You know, what I guess what I would say is that even when it feels like it's not going to get better, that it, it will change life is not on a straight line continuum it's constantly evolving and changing um i would say that nobody has to struggle or be alone um you don't have to live up to other people's standards or make apologies it's okay to feel depressed it's okay to be psychotic it's okay to feel anxiety um you know your personality is your personality and your life is your life I think the biggest word of advice is that you don't have to feel trapped or feel like there are no options. Um, So it's just, you know, it's a part of who we are. And um, yeah, it's nothing to be ashamed of and live your life the way you want to live it, um, not the way your brain tells you to live it. So, yeah. 
I like that. That's good. Um, and I think going off of that, if you could give any advice to somebody who loves or cares about somebody struggling with depression and anxiety, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, I guess I can speak only for myself that it it's never quite helpful to have people just tell me what to do or to point out that I'm depressed or anxious because I already know that. Um, I think that the biggest thing is to know is that we're all human and what, what we look for as humans is connection and mutuality um, and to understand that we all have different world views and that they're necessarily not necessarily wrong. Um, so what I would say is that people need connection. Um, they need acceptance and, you know, to know that it's always evolving and, and having some sort of mental health diagnosis doesn't like resign somebody to a life that's doomed. Um, but everybody needs love. We all need connection. We need closeness. And, that, you know, so that's what I would say. And to just sort of be patient with people and understand that that's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Not trying to change them, just validating their feelings. Yeah. Letting yeah. them know that their feelings are real. Yeah. And valid. Ex- acceptance, validation. That's a good, that's a good word for it. Everybody wants to feel validated and um, sort of just dismissing those symptoms or the, that mental health piece is, dismiss, is dismissing part of who somebody is. So to just sort of love the, and accept the whole person. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. Like loving the mental illness as well. Yeah, embracing it. Yeah. So that's that's about all I have to ask. But do you have any final bleh, final thoughts? Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, it was good to be asked to be here today and talk about this. Um, it's something I do a lot as part of my work and and in my life and. Um, I'm just glad to be able to kind of have my voice heard and, and to contribute. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. There, there are other podcasts and, and blogs, and there's lots of them about this subject, and I don't think we can ever have enough of them. Um, so happy to be a part of it, and uh, maybe I'll come back someday. So I wish you luck with it. Thank you. Um hope to maybe see you again Robert (laughs) sounds good (laughs) okay podcast um, person (laughs) okay well um I hope you guys keep listening um I have a few more uh episodes coming your way